It's the Big Baseball Podcast with Kyle and Drew Charters. Halfway through the Big Ten season, we'll break down the best in the league, teams, players, whatever else, coming up on the Big Baseball Podcast. Kyle Charters here with Drew Charters, who has finally shown up for a broadcast this week. Nice of you to join us on the program today. I was relaxing on the beach. <laughs> yeah. I was in the home studio grinding through 18 hours of base. 18 hours. It felt like 18 hours of time. 18 innings of baseball on, uh, which I love, but man, solo. The solo broadcasts. Whew. That's a grind, especially on that folding chair. That's nice. I did put a you pillow. should get another chair in there. I put a pillow on top of the folding chair. That didn't help. It helped a no little chance. bit. Yeah, it was not bad. <laughs> All right. Uh, big program for you today. On the pod, Michigan coach Eric Backage. Looking forward to chatting with him. We'll hit on a lot of topics, including his team, obviously. He's got a strong opinion on the pod system that we're using this year in the Big Ten. And, of course, we'll talk a little bit about uh, scheduling, the NCAA in general. We get into that uh, with him as well. So looking forward to that conversation. Drew, that makes it pretty evident that perhaps we should start with the Wolverines today. Michigan uh, within a half game of Nebraska, as we get set to start the second half of the Big Ten this coming weekend, the Wolverines will take on Minnesota. Uh, but this last weekend was a big series against Ohio State. Made, I, I think, a bigger series because of what the Buckeyes had done the week before against Indiana yeah. and sweeping the Hoosiers. Uh, and then Ohio State wins, what, game one of this series, and all of a sudden you're like, well, hey, here comes Ohio State. And Michigan had to respond, and it did. I mean, it, the bats just exploded against a pretty good pitching for Ohio State over the last couple of games of the weekend. Yeah, 23 runs in those last two games. And, you know, Michigan helped Ohio State out on that Friday game. They had an error in the seventh that led to three unearned runs for Ohio State. So extremely close uh, to winning that ball game, too, um, if you take away that unfortunate error. But if you look at this Michigan team, the starting pitching and the bullpen are pretty solid, right? Yeah. I mean, you look down this list, and not only do all three starting pitchers have an ERA under four, but you look at the bullpen, and you know, led by Joe Pace, Willie Weiss, and Will Proctor, all of those three have at least eight appearances and under a 2.0 earned run average. And then you throw in... Isaiah Page, who's been around forever, has college World Series experience, who's not too shabby at 3.38, and Bill Dragani, who been been, excuse me, who starts sometimes, mixes in some bullpen mm-hmm. with a 230 right there. So I mean, you look down that bullpen and, and yeah. where do you find where's a hole? There's no hole. Yeah, I agree with you. I mean, I, you you if you somehow can get to one of the starting pitchers. And maybe you can on Sundays against Michigan. Yeah. But then, yeah. yeah, then you, you're, it's not a big advantage. Yeah, you're like, oh, good. We chased the starter. Yeah, yeah. We got into this bullpen <laughs> where they can just roll guys out on you. I mean, it's, I, I think that, and we'll get onto this a little bit later, just a preview, you know, as you talk about some of the, the teams that you like in the Big Ten halfway through, perhaps that's the thing that separates Michigan. Yeah. A little bit for for some others. Uh, the yeah, the Wolverines win. That was I don't know if you saw since you were you know lounging on the beach all weekend. It was. Uh, I don't. It was it was pouring in Ann Arbor on Sunday, <laughs> and they played through the rain. I mean pouring. But uh, Michigan scores nine runs in the eighth inning. I don't know if it was raining in that eighth inning. I just saw a couple of clips on the uh, the Twitter machine there as I was calling. It wasn't raining in in East Lan- in East Lansing. It was pouring in Ann Arbor. Uh, just not a lot of flaws there for Michigan. I mean, that lineup one through nine, even Riley Bertram, who hits, I think, in the eight hole for them, had three RBI on Saturday. Uh, the starting pitching, especially the you know one-two, Cameron Weston was great on Saturday. Um, and then probably the best bullpen of the Big Ten, the defense is good. I mean, you look at all of those things. The team that is most similar, I think, to that probably is Nebraska, right? I mean, half game up on Michigan in the Big Ten. Took two of three at home against Maryland over the weekend. Uh, they they just are good one through nine in that lineup. Even on Sunday, you look, 
you know, Nebraska's top two and bottom two hitters in the lineup combined on Sunday in the victory for eight hits, 10 RBI, six runs scored, and four stolen bases. Yeah. Uh, you know, they can just do it anywhere in the lineup, and it does create a situation where you – I think their starting pitching is good, maybe not great, but good and consistently good. So with that offense, it's a pretty good combination. Well, I think there's certainly an argument there on who is the most well-rounded team right now between Michigan and Nebraska. I mean, yeah. you look at the stats alone, and Nebraska is leading the Big Ten in batting average. They're fourth in pitching. Mm-hmm. That's fine. They're first in defense. They've only had 12 errors all season. The next closest team to them has 20. So they have a huge cushion on the best defensive team in the Big Ten. You know, they lead they lead the Big Ten in batting average, and they only have two individuals in the top 14 in that number. So that shows you the depth. Yeah, We talked about that last week. One through nine, there is, there's no let up. It talks about that depth that they're able to not have very many guys at the top of those mm-hmm. stat leaders, but yet they lead the Big Ten. Yeah, nobody's dragging them down. Right. Yeah. One through nine, they're just yeah. all hitting, you know, 280, except for, right. you know, instead of a couple guys hitting 340 and the bottom of the lineup hitting 190, they're all just yeah. right there. Yeah, they can do it from anywhere. Uh, that's for sure. And so those two teams to me are. Are they a cut above everybody else? They they might be. It does set up what should be just a, a great series to end the year. Yeah. Right? I mean, Haymarket Park, the last weekend. Memorial Day. Memorial Day weekend. Yeah. At least be able to get half the stadium full. If, it, if you could fill the whole thing up, be standing room only in that place for that weekend. I mean, we should be grateful for what we have, I suppose, at this point. But, uh Man, that it would be awesome to be there. That will be yeah. a if things hold. Now there, there are some series for both those teams between now and then. You know, I mean, it, it's this whole and nobody intended. I don't think this to happen, but it just did. That a lot of these teams, they're in the top half of the Big Ten, will be playing each other. You know, Indiana and you throw Indiana and in, I think Ohio State, Northwestern, which has sunk down the standings a little bit here recently, which has been a surprise to me. Um, Michigan, Nebraska, you know, all those teams sort of uh, fighting it out a little bit once we get to May. So, uh, but the biggest series, and hopefully they'll stay within a half a game or a game or, you know, whatever of each other going into that uh, weekend in Lincoln. You look at, you look at even as early as next weekend, could we see a change at the top on the next weekend? Because Michigan plays Minnesota. Yeah. You know, Nebraska's got Penn State at Penn State, all, you know, all five of the teams in the top five of the standings are on the road this week. Hmm. Interesting. All right, let's uh, let's talk some midway point individual stuff here as we hit the midway point. Some of the guys that are are standing out could be you know MVPs if you want to call it first half big bats maybe if you want to do that. Benjamin Coles has been really good, Drew, uh, <laughs> to say the least. He was the guy. I, I know that he's you know been around and and you know probably was worth a mention with those other big three for Maryland, but he's been the big one that has stood out for the Terps. I mean, he's hitting 360 with 10 homers and 29 RBI. I mean, statistically, I know Maryland's season hasn't gone exactly the way that it had planned. There's still time, I think, for Maryland, um, but just been too inconsistent, I think, on the mound. But, man, Coles has been great. Well, I think the big thing for Coles is he helped fill that void because Maxwell Costas was out for a little while. Yeah. And if you have Costas out for Maryland and a guy like that steps up, then – you know, you don't feel that impact as much, and, and that's what he did for that Maryland team. You look down, Sean Goosenberg, we got to mention him, a three fifty six average and 10 home runs. He's part of that squad that has hit like a billion home runs this season. It's just incredible, and he's got 10 of them and 20-run RBIs. That's had to be, you know, a nice surprise for them with that power in, in the lineup. Brandon Colmia, 373, 12 runs driven in. I think if you want to go with somebody who's a little bit off the, how would you say this? Not not a big, I mean, you can, you can just pick guys that are going to wall up home runs, right? I mean, and, and look at the list pretty easily and, and find some pretty good names on that list. But I think with uh, Jackson Hallmark at Nebraska and, and leading off for them and setting the table for, the rest of that lineup. I mean, hitting 370, he gets on base like 
mean, it feels like every time yeah. he's at the plate, he has 10 steals, which I think is either first or second in the Big Ten. Never mind what he does coming out of the bullpen um, and his defense also, but I, I think you have to put him into that conversation just as a table setter for everybody else. Yeah, certainly. And, and then you you look at another guy similar to that and, and Brandon Comia, and I think we would be talking a lot more about Comia if Illinois yeah. was winning more games. Yeah. I mean, he's having an outstanding season, hitting just under 400. Yeah. And, you know, how the defense, all the, the whole Comia family plays good defense. <laughs> and, uh, yeah. you know, he's just a leader for that Illinois team, and I think we'd be talking a lot more about him if they were winning more games. Yeah, probably so. Uh, MVP, first half, big arms. Uh, Trenton Wallace. You scoffed before the season started at Trenton Wallace because we didn't know as much about him for Iowa. You scoffed. I did? Yeah, you did. Why? What, what, <laughs> I do not recall this. What are you talking about? <laughs> He's 3-1 uh, and one with a 1.87. You scoffed. Check the tape. <laughs> Making stuff up. Scoffed at what? That he only had one hit offensively through like 20 no. games? You scoffed about at the that? idea that he was going to be an ace for the Hawkeyes. You were like... You like Iowa. They don't have an ace. That's what you said exactly. And Wallace has been great. 1.87 ERA, 47 strikeouts. Not sure that's exactly what you said, but it's close. 33 and two-thirds innings. Uh, who else we got on this list? Big big arms first half. Well, McKay Brown. You know, the, the, the concern with McKay Brown for IU coming in was... He still walks a lot Keeping of it in the zone. And he was able to put it together for the first few starts of the season, and he's now getting a little bit wild, so that's a concern. <laughs> he's got to get it under control, but he's 58 had 58 strikeouts in 33 innings. If you're going to just pick a guy who has had a couple of outings that were just lights out, you're looking at McKay Brown or Seth Lonsway, who... Yeah. You know, has you talk about strikeouts, McCabe Brown of 58 and 33. Lonsway's got 54 and 32, so that's a fun matchup to watch for the second half of the season. But Lonsway, again, again, a guy who needs to keep it a little bit under control, and and we'd be talking about them even more than we already do. Lonsway only one and four, so strikeouts not necessarily translating to, to, to wins yet yeah. for Seth. Steve Hazer, 1-0 with a 2.80, 42 strikeouts in 31 innings. Surprising that he's only 1-0, but I guess it tells you that they can go to that bullpen, Michigan can, and and be fine with that. There are some big names that I, I, they're not having bad seasons. Just we would have expected them to be in this conversation, too. I mean, Lonsway, yeah, the strikeouts are huge. His ERA's up there. You know, Sean Burke's been okay. Bailey D's, both of them with ERAs above five. Just interesting, I think. I think there are a lot of good bats. It's hard in the Big Ten. There are a lot, a lot of teams that can really just break it. Yeah. <laughs> and so I think, you know, you have one bad outing or a couple so-so outings, and all of a sudden your numbers in a, in a shorter season don't look quite as good. But still a couple of guys that I wouldn't want to have to face on a Friday night. Okay, big arm and big bat. Now, which did I have this week? Yeah, what? this was confusing, huh? When I text you and say, hey, I got big arm this week, and you say, okay, I expect you to follow through on that. <laughs> so we both did big arm. So we're going to give two two different guys for big arm? No, we'll uh, <laughs> we'll hit uh, we'll hit big bat, too. Uh, and I'll start with big bat. Um, there were a lot of guys this weekend. Uh, Dylan Nedved, four for four with a home run and a triple, a couple of runs scored an RBI and a win over Minnesota. For the Hawkeyes, Ryan Lasko homered his first two at-bats again. Uh, he sort of makes a habit of that. Three runs driven in, a couple of runs scored in that same game for Northwestern. Jordan Sweeney hit a home run in the top of the ninth. He he also, uh, against Northwestern, I should say, for Rutgers, he also um, has a knack, it seems, for late-inning homers. He got the big bat for us last week because of a walk-off. This one, not a walk-off, but the game winner in the top half. Matt Wood had a really good weekend for Penn State. Uh, Peyton Williams hit the one billionth grand slam for Iowa in the Big Ten this year and went over Minnesota, more in Cullopy for Indiana at a home run, four runs driven in a triple in that, uh, I think that was the no-no game, right? Eight-nothing against Illinois. But look, speaking of Northwestern hitting a uh, bomb, Sean Gusenberg was great. <laughs> he had four 
home runs on the weekend, <laughs> and two in a game, including in the extra inning contest when he hit the walk-off in the 12th inning win against Rutgers. So I think for the second time this year, Sean Goosenberg is our big bat. All right, we both had big arm, but you'll take it away. What do you got? I'll take it. Mason Erla from Michigan State had another good start, a 7-4 to win over Penn State. He went seven innings, four hits, just a run, struck out seven. Uh, Lonsway, we'll mention him because he struck out a billion people again. Ten strikeouts and four and two-thirds. He did end up with the loss in that game against Michigan. McCade Brown and Braden Tucker for IU combined for a no-hitter. Yep. Went nine innings, uh, ten strikeouts, but they did have eight walks in that game. Yeah, Brown had seven. Yeah. And two wild pitches. That is what you call effectively wild. That is. Definition. Definition. Baseball definition, effectively wild, McCade Brown. <laughs> Drew Irving for Iowa had a win against Minnesota, went seven, just gave up two hits, a run, six strikeouts. Cam Bauman uh, for Iowa in a win versus Minnesota, went five innings, five strikeouts, no runs. Cameron Western for Michigan had another solid outing, six and two-thirds, no runs, five strikeouts. Um, Garrett Buckle for Northwestern came out of the bullpen in that six-to-five win against Rutgers. And held Rutgers in check. Three innings, just a couple of hits, three strikeouts. Uh, but we're going to go to Nebraska and give it to our boy, Shea, not a transfer, Shanneman. <laughs> I'm giving him a new that's nickname. A, yeah, that's a great nickname. I know. I'm sure that's really going to stick. <laughs> in a win versus Maryland, Shea had uh, win six innings, just a couple of hits, three runs scored. He had a career-high 11 strikeouts. He only had a one-hitter going to the seventh inning. He got into a little bit of trouble. He hit three batters in a row, uh, which is why he gave up and ended up giving up three runs in that game. But big arm will go to Shea, not a transfer, Shannon. Yeah. Uh, already people are tweeting it. Hashtag. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, good selections this week. Okay, let's take a break. We'll come back. We'll talk to Eric Backage, the head coach of the Michigan Wolverines. That's coming up next on the Big Baseball Podcast, a production of 1017 The Hammer. Baseball Podcast. Kyle here with Eric Backage, Michigan head coach, now in his ninth season with the Wolverines. First of all, Eric, I appreciate you coming on. I think this is probably the at least the third time that you've been on the podcast with us over the years, and, and we really enjoy talking to you, enjoy watching your team play. And uh, saw you a few weeks ago there in what the, the second weekend of the season and, and knew you had a good crew, and uh, that has proven to be the case, especially after this last weekend. And and your guys' battle with Ohio State that had to be a fun one, I would imagine, as it usually is. Uh, but first of all, thanks for coming on, and, and you've got to be happy about how your team is playing. Well, Kyle, thanks for having me, obviously. And, you know, on behalf of all the Big Ten baseball coaches, thanks for talking about Big Ten baseball and promoting our conference, promoting our sport. Um, that always isn't the case, so we, we really appreciate it because there's good baseball up in these parts. So we appreciate you talking about it. Well, I appreciate that. Uh, you did take two or three against Ohio State. Man, the, the bats really came alive the last couple of weekends against what's a, a really good pitching staff for the Buckeyes. You scored 23 runs, including, what, 16 in the, in the downpour at times there in Ann Arbor on Sunday. What did you guys do so well? Well, we, we played very good defense. We got, you know, we got quality starts from our three starting pitchers. And we got a lot of timely hits. You know, a lot of those runs that we scored were with two outs. So two out RBIs, we talk about being worth their weight in gold. Uh, they're just such a such a momentum driver for an offense and can be demoralizing at times for the opposition. So we got a lot of clutch hits throughout the weekend. And we had a 4-2 lead going into the final three innings on Friday. Our bullpen has always, is you know, typically all season been very reliable. So a little uncharacteristic to give up the lead late, but that happens, especially in a heated rivalry series. Um, but yeah, Ohio State's pitching, like you said, their they're, they're pitching is very good. They got a lot of hard throwers. They got a lot of guys with good stuff. You know, coming into the weekend, they had just swept Indiana, who, um, you know, is at the top of the standings as well. So you knew they were very capable and, uh, and had elite, elite arms in their, on their pitching staff. So it was going to be a battle no matter what. Did it feel good just to um, 
to have that kind of weekend with the competition. I mean, obviously you had played in some big weekends already uh, during this Big Ten season, but just to get back to that a little bit after the craziness here over the last year and and to be able to have the the rivalry series and maybe uh, feel good about life getting back to somewhat normal again here for everyone. Yeah, I think I think all of us in college baseball are in that gratitude zone uh, for this year, having having the season completely uh, ripped out from underneath us last year for obvious reasons. But, you know, the unknowns of, you know, how, what is this spring going to look like, especially in the Big Ten, which has more restrictions and more uh, restrictive po- protocols than everybody else. So. Um, you know, it's, it's, it's each day is, you know, is, is an opportunity to keep playing and, and, uh, and we're very, we feel very fortunate and blessed to pe- to continue to be able to do so. And, you know, now it looks like that we're through basketball season and, um, you know, it looks like we're going to make it. So knock on wood, <laughs> you know, this, it's, uh, this, we're through the first half of the regular season and, and marching forward into the second half of the regular season into the postseason. So yeah. I know all the all the coaches, all the players, everyone just thankful that, you know, even though we're not playing as many games as the other leagues, we are playing games and we appreciate that. Yeah. Try to be optimistic, but know that you've got to take it one one day at a time a little bit too, because man, everything struck snuck up on us so quickly last year. You know, Drew made this observation about your team early in the season after we watched you in that that second weekend that, you know, you've got a, a lot of depth and a lot of good players without doing any one thing real flashy. And it sort of makes you, I don't know, he thought maybe fly under the radar a little bit. And it, it, it's, it's interesting because, and he means it as a compliment, but it's interesting, I think. And it, it, it's interesting because if you look at you guys statistically, you know, you don't have somebody in the top 10 for batting average, not for slugging, not for on base. Uh, Jimmy Obertop is in the top 10 for, for individual home runs and, and RBI. But you put everything together and you've got, you know, the fourth best hitting team. I think you're second in the league in runs scored. Um, so, you know, the, the, the collaboration of everything is, is really working for you, maybe even more so than the individual pieces. I think that's a good way to put it. You know, the uh, uh, we are we are a team that we feel like is is balanced. Uh, we we may not have any any you know particular standout type performers, but everybody is you know trying to be consistently good and play it just play at a consistent high level each weekend. So we have you know goals we try to hit each week each game. Uh, and really for us, it just comes down to competing pitch to pitch, but we do feel like we have enough talent plus enough experience and depth on the roster that, um, yeah, we should be in contention. And this is what we, you know, we build our teams to compete for big 10 championships, but also, you know, to, to compete, to be the last team standing and be able to get to the college world series and you know, do it, not just say it. Um, so yeah, I, I do. I, I like our pitching. I like our defense. I like our clutch hitting. I like the balance of our club. Um, yeah, nothing may stand out. It's like going recruiting and, you know, you, you go to a, a showcase and, you know, you may see a guy that throws super hard or hits the ball super far or runs really fast. And then you see another guy and you, you know, he may not stand out in the showcase, but you watch him play all week and, you know, you really like him because he's just a good player. And I, yeah. I feel like we've got a lot of those types of guys uh, that, you know, just good ball players, you know, that just show their value over the course of time, may not do any one, may not have one tool that, you know, just absolutely jumps out off the page. But after watching them throughout the course of a week, they're consistent, good, steady. Uh, and that's kind of the name of this game. Obertop must have heated up a little bit because when we saw him in that second weekend, I think he was 0 for 19 to start the year or 1 for 20 or something like that. Uh, but obviously he's, you know, become the player that you expected him to to be. Oh, he's he's dangerous. He's uh, he he hits the ball harder than anyone on the team or more most consistently has the most consistent highest exit velos on the team I think he's hit 18 balls so far this season and that's with without track man data at two of the sites that we've played at so 
in uh, in five. What have we played? Six weekends and six weekends uh, measuring TrackMan data in four of them. He's got eighteen uh, balls hit over hundred miles an hour. Uh, so he is he is putting a charge into the ball, and he's 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 got a chance to leave the yard every time he comes to the plate. So yeah, he's a, he's a dangerous hitter for us and um, been a huge part of our offense and that three run home run, we don't rely on it, but man, it's nice to get it. <laughs> yeah, it certainly is. I, you've always struck me as a guy who's probably been at the forefront of some of those analytics. How much has that changed for you uh, over the years as in, in your tenure as a, as an assistant or a head coach? Well, it's, it's one of those things where if you don't, learn about it and uh, subscribe to it then you're going to get left behind i mean it's just it's been around you know ball ball flight technology has been around for decades in golf yeah. you know golf has used doppler radar trackman trackman started as a golf company you know and it's people have been measuring uh you know the exit speed of a ball and the trajectory of a ball and the spin of a golf ball for gosh 20 and 30 years and so baseball just kind of caught on to that with some seems like within the last 10 years uh but yeah if you don't know ball flight metrics by now you man that seems like you're in the dark ages um but you know and then it's just staying ahead of the game like of course you have to know what the ball's doing but you know where we've made huge strides these last two and a half years is understanding how to make the ball do those things mm -hmm. and to understand how to make the ball do what you want it to do. You got to understand how the human body moves and efficient movement patterns. And this is another area where golf is light years ahead. Yeah. Cause obviously, you know, you can have a strength coach, a medical professional and a golf coach for just one tour player, you know, and we've got a strength coach and a medical professional and a, and a, you know, four coaches for 35 to 40 <laughs> players. So it's a little different, but that, that kind of, uh, mindset of being able to have that triangle of communication yeah. of understanding how the how their bodies are moving trying to create efficient movement patterns what are they what physically can they do and what are their limitations understanding that has been a huge unlocker of potential for what the ball can do and that's where we've made massive strides learning about learning more about golf and yeah. what the titleist performance institute is doing and and getting super involved with you know with them and and their teachings and their certifications it's been a game changer for us and um so that's something that we're of course we of course we need to have an understanding of what the ball is doing but n no player wants to talk about that nobody wants to talk about, <laughs> yeah you know, spin metrics they they just want to know how you know how can you how can you make me play better Right. And as a coach, you just need to be able to speak in simple language and uh, explain that. So in order to do that, you need to know how their bodies move and how you can help them in in easy, easy ways to explain that. Yeah, there probably is a balance between uh, getting too deep in the weeds with uh, incoming freshmen who might not know exactly what you're talking about and and just letting you know, his natural ability play, right? I mean, there's, you got to find a balance between those two things. Well, yeah, I mean, it's, you know, hitters, it's, it's, uh, you know, you're just trying to make hard contact because you're trying to score more runs. So for hitters, there's no such thing, whether you're in little league or the big leagues, everybody's chasing bat speed. Everybody wants more bat speed. So it's, you know, for, for, if you can make it as simple as that, Hey, we're trying to help you hit the ball harder whether you're a, you know, a, a slap guy or a power guy, everybody wants more bat speed because then you can, you know, make decisions later and not have to swing out of hand. Every offense wants more runs. So if you just know exactly what you're chasing, so as, a, as an offense, we want runs. As individual hitters, we want bat speed. Uh, you, you can simplify. For pitchers, it's, you know, some of them come in and don't quite understand the movement profile of what the ball's doing after it leaves their hand. You know, they throw a curveball because they, they like to see it move, but that may not complement what their fastball is doing. If their fastball has a little bit of horizontal movement, then a depth curveball may not make that much sense for them when you're trying to get those, those separations uh, as an opposing hitter trying to hit your stuff. So uh, really it's just figuring out what pitches – make 
that pitcher perform the best and uh, and how can we help him discover that and explain it simply and easily yeah. <laughs> uh, so they understand it so uh, but we've got smart guys i mean it's michigan it's you know it's it, there's a lot of smart kids that go here so they understand some of these concepts but you know it's uh it's just it's just uh it's just trying to trying to constantly coach and teach in uh you know using illustrative type pictures that they see images in mm-hmm. without using four syllable words all the time. yeah <laughs> yeah it's just baseball these days your uh you mentioned your your bullpen uh it's been uh, really good i mean you got a lot of depth there but the two guys at the top of the rotation in particular too are are giving you a chance to win on Fridays and Saturdays every weekend, Stephen Ajar and, and uh, uh, Cameron Weston. Just, you know, how good are those two um, and, and just their ability to uh, go out there and, and throw strikes and, and give your offense a chance? Yeah, the, those are two, you know, elite pitchers that understand what their, what their pitch arsenal is, like we just talked about. Steve Hadger has high-induced vertical breaks, so his fastball fights gravity at – it, um, you know, he usually, uh, when he's pitching well, he can pitch at the top of the zone. He can generate swing and miss at the top of the zone or foul balls or pop-up slide balls. Complementing off that is a depth breaking ball as well as a changeup. Cam Weston's ball does different. It's more horizontal break to his ball. So he has a slider that's more east-west that complements that and a fork ball that goes down and they all try to tunnel their pitches out of the same area. So when they're on and they're throwing their secondary for strikes, you know, they're tough to hit because their fastballs play up enough that where it is, you know, both of them are up in the low nineties, but both of them with the movement of their pitches, Steve, you know, with the induced vertical break and cam with the horizontal movement, the arm side run, it's, you know, the, their, their pitches are, are tough to hit even when you're sitting on them. So uh, when those two guys are on and they're throwing their secondary stuff for strikes, uh, they're both hyper competitive kids, and um, you know, got a chance to to pitch for a long time. It seems almost hard to believe that you guys played in the last College World Series game because it feels so long ago. Uh, but you did. Uh, how much does you know? There's some leftover experience from that run on your roster still. Uh, how much does that experience help help you guys now? Well, it's, it's just the, it's the believability factor, you know, before it's everybody, I think, um, seeing is believing, you know, you almost, especially with most people outside of your team, they got to see it to believe it. And even I would say some people within the team, uh, they got to see us go to Omaha before they believe we can go to Omaha. And now it's, you know, we know we can get there. We know we can play at that level. So believing is, is seeing and, uh, that's, you know, it's the mindset we've always tried to have, but, you know, that's not always the way it works. So, you know, it's kind of that idea that you're trying to build a perennial Omaha team, but you need to have an Omaha team before you have an Omaha <laughs> program. Yeah. Uh, and so now that we've had an Omaha team, we're trying to build an Omaha program. And uh, Coach Corbin, I remember him always saying, it's, you know, you go to Omaha once, you go to Omaha twice because your players just know how to navigate their way to get there. Right. So I I do think, you know, we're not, whether we go there this year or not, it's not going to be because we're lacking anything. We have, you know, we have enough talent. We have enough depth. We have the pieces. uh, But obviously the postseason is a totally different animal. You need to be hot. You need to get a little bit lucky. Um, so, you know, we'll see if we can do those things at the end, but, you know, right now we got to get through Minnesota first and we got a long way to go before June gets here. And, um, you know, we haven't played our best, uh, I'd say the first half of the season, we've left some games on the table. Uh, so, you know, for us, it's just about how we play, how we compete pitch to pitch. And when we're doing that at a high level, you know, we, we've got a good shot. Yeah, when you get to June, it'll be the first time you, you face a team outside of the Big Ten, which uh, will be a little bit interesting. How do you, you know, we're halfway through the conference season now. How do you think this whole thing has worked out with playing the, the conference-only games and only on the weekend and, you know, the pod system, which, which I saw for the first time over the weekend, though I saw it remotely, uh, broadcasting games here from my home gym around the corner. Um, but how, how has that all worked? And do you think – 
that it will have an effect on selection and, and how many teams the Big Ten gets into the NCAA tournament? Um, the first part of your question, I, I do like the pod system. I think it was smart. The guys at Iowa created that, you know, Coteller and, and Marty Sutherland and those guys did a really good job putting that together to where you avoid the bye week, you know, with the uneven yeah. number of teams in our conference. You know, there's always six weekends of or six teams, six series going on with 12 teams and one team is scrambling to find another opponent. So this pod system we have, it's, it's really worked well in a COVID year where you just don't want to have a bye week because, you, you know, you may have other factors like COVID shutdowns and, uh, right. and, and weather that you may lose games anyway. So I, I'm sure it'll be something that we discuss going into next year if that's a, a model we want to continue to use uh, just because it, it's, you know, it's, it, that's always our, one of our biggest struggles uh, as coaches is trying to find bi-week opponents mm -hmm. you know, in the middle of, in the middle of April and in, in early May when everyone else is in the middle of their conference seasons and you're always limited to just a select few number of opponents and not many people want to come to the big 10 right. if your bi-week is in the end of March or early April. So the, you know, it's another 50,000 bucks to go on the road to somewhere else. So this would be a, a, a good way to mitigate that and, uh, and find a way to, to play more conference opponents. Uh, the conference only schedule, will it hurt our selection, NCAA selection? I don't think there's any doubt that uh, our bids could be limited this year uh, to three or four. I, I doubt it'll be a five bid league like it's been a few times. You know, we had five bids in 2019, five bids in 2015. You know, there's there's five teams for sure that are going to be postseason caliber type teams, maybe more. Uh, so, yeah, not only playing conference only and playing less games. Uh, when you're in, the NCAA selection committee has a hard enough job on their hands and, you know, RPI is a tool they use. Now it's an, it's an antiquated formula. It's, you know, and it certainly doesn't apply to regional competition and it definitely doesn't apply to conference only competition because 75% of the metric is based on opponents win percentage and opponents opponents win percentage. So <laughs> the more common opponents you have, the worse your RPI is. That's been the West coast complaint the whole time. Yeah. Um, so you know, RPI won't be a tool that will be able to be to be used to determine the strength and quality of a Big Ten opponent. They'll just look at the standings. So I think it's how those standings shake out. If you've got, you know, if you got two teams that are far and away separators above everyone else, they could just take two teams. If you've got four teams that are, it, it's all going to come down to what the standings look like and how many teams look like they are separated themselves from the pack. Yeah. Um, but you know, again, gratitude zone, appreciative to even be playing baseball, disappointed. It's only 44 games and wishing we could, I mean, all the coaches, all the players, you know, we all wanted to play 56 <laughs> games the regular season and yeah. play non-conference. Uh, but you know, we, we understand that those decisions aren't, are, are made at a different level and, um, whether we agree or disagree, that's just what we got. And so we're trying to make the most of it. Right. You know, at the end of last season, which ended earlier than a lot of us wanted, uh, there was a push, and, and you were a big part of it, to, to maybe change the check calendar in NCAA baseball. Um, and I, I was on board with that as well. I mean, it just makes a lot of sense, uh, what you guys were saying, and, and changing it up. And it seemed like this might be a good opportunity to do so with the fact that, you know, uh, so much was up in the air with how the season ended last year. You think we'll ever get there to, to a point where you know we start a little bit later and and end a little bit later and you know line up the draft uh, so it makes a little bit more sense and and you know do all those kinds of things throughout the summer to to make baseball even college baseball even uh, a better and, and more competitive sport. Well, I think we have to we have to or we're kidding ourselves if we ever think we're going to get more scholarships or another full time paid assistant coach. I mean. That's the the number one things that all coaches want, whether you're in the South or the North, you want more scholarships and you want another, you want to improve your ratio of players and coaches. 
And th those are the two biggest disadvantages we have is we're underfunded and we don't have enough coaches for players when you're trying to balance player development and recruiting. And the only way an administrator, if all of us college coaches were also administrators who are looking at budgets, there's no way that we would approve to spend more money on a sport that perpetually loses money with the exception of a handful of schools in the country. And it's the teams that draw an average over 10,000 fans a game with the exception of the handful of those college baseball is a losing financial model. I mean, we have teams that are losing, not just a few hundred that losing millions of dollars, not just one, $2 million, 3 million at some school. So it's, it's a bad model in terms of how we operate to, to think, that we start the season on Valentine's day in the middle of February, <laughs> you know, right in the middle of when it is just getting exciting in college basketball, yeah. you know, there needs to be more of a definitive line separating basketball and baseball. And what that, the, what that early start does is it makes half the country have to spend way too much money on travel. It makes the other half of the country, the warm weather schools, especially the juggernaut type programs, their actual attendance in February and March is nothing compared to their attendance in April and May in terms of the people that show up and the money they spend on concession and, and merchandise and just the atmosphere is better. So, you know, diving into that study, college baseball is better attended in April and May compared to February and March. February and March is where Northern teams are spending a huge chunk of money to go play these Southern schools. Yeah. The Southern schools are paying money to bring these Northern teams in. Not as many fans are going to those games because it's still kind of cold in some of those places in the country and it's basketball season. So nobody's saying that all of a sudden magically the Northern schools are going to start making money in baseball. But if you move the season back a few weeks, we're going to lose less money. Right. <laughs> and if you move the season back a few weeks, the Southern schools are going to make a little bit more money in attendance and revenue. So either way, it's a net positive on that bottom line. And if we want to get more scholarships and we want to get that third paid assistant coach, those bottom lines are what we need to improve to show an administration. Yeah. Now, yeah I mean, it's not, that, it's not that hard. I don't know why people debate it. Like it's uh you know, like it's an equity thing. Nobody cares about competitive equity. Nobody gives a crap that the Northern <laughs> teams are at a weather disadvantage. That's not what we're talking about. We're straight yeah. up talking about money. Money and that's it. And that's what we need to improve our sport is we need to have better bottom lines. Yeah, it seems like money talks usually, right? I mean, everybody, everybody's on board with, uh, with making more money or at least losing less money. And it seems like uh, that would be something that uh, more people could get behind. And, Maybe we'll see it sometime, but man, it's been something that's been been talked about for a while and just hasn't had the kind of legs that I think you especially or or even me have uh, have wanted to see. I feel like we could go on and on about this, but we won't. Uh, best of luck this weekend at Minnesota. Um, looking forward to maybe seeing you guys uh, again later on in the season if possible. And uh, we always appreciate your time and, and have you on the podcast. Kyle, thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Look forward to chatting soon. for coming on the podcast with us again today. Drew, let's hit our weekend rotation. I thought it was interesting what Eric had to say about the pod system and liking it because, you know, in, in his opinion, and I, I can see what he's saying, is it's so difficult to schedule non-conference during the conference season. Mm -hmm. I mean, A, just your your pool of available teams comes down to who else has a conference by that week. And so maybe it's something that the Big Ten could continue to do is to, to gather three teams in one location. It seems to have worked out pretty well. Uh, the games have been played. Uh, they've had to shuffle like they did in East Lansing. It created a little bit of a, an odd situation in East Lansing and that Purdue was playing Penn State where it was Purdue's first game and Penn State's third game. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's one versus three, uh, pitching-wise, but then Kyle Verbitsky pitched eight-plus innings and was excellent uh, for, and 
You should have mentioned him, by the way, in in Big Arm. I I just uh, earlier. I I just like made a face to myself because I had him listed here and I <laughs> totally skipped. I was like, I don't remember talking about Verbisky. Uh, so my apologies to Verbisky. Yeah, eight and a third, five innings, no runs, six strikeouts, and eleven nothing victory. Yeah. He should get a mention on a nom for Big Arm. <laughs> <laughs> but the pod system, yeah, I think it's been a clever way. I didn't realize until Backage said so that it was Iowa that and and. Uh, Rick Heller, which would have known that when I talked to him a couple of weeks ago, that sort of helped develop this a little bit with the Big Ten. But uh, maybe an interesting way to help teams avoid having to schedule and pay or whatever they have to do to get in some rando team in to play that open weekend in the Big Ten. I'll take it from another perspective, and that's the fan perspective. Yeah. And the and the Big Ten in general. When you're a conference that's looking for some notoriety or some yeah, do something different. Do something different. Yeah. You could really market this thing, put it on Big Ten Network all weekend, market it as, you know, a complete tailgate yeah. party. You got all these teams coming to one location, get all as many fans there as you can and make it a block party, you know, like market the thing as maybe do it if a you could do it complete baseball party weekend. Yeah, maybe if you could do it regionally a little bit too. Yeah. And and bring people out for not only baseball but some other activities out there and and get it nationally recognized right. as something different you're doing and just a, a a fun thing to do. I mean, who doesn't like just watching baseball all weekend? Yeah, if you could do like, uh, you know, Michigan, Michigan State and, and Ohio State for a weekend or uh, Iowa, Illinois and Nebraska or, you know, Purdue, Indiana and, and Ohio State or Northwestern right. or whatever, yeah. you know, something like that, that, yeah, that that's, you know, drivable and, and yeah. make it sort of uh you know, when you can have full fans right. and the whole thing like that. I think that's a pretty good idea. All right, topic number two. If the NCAA tournament started today, I think there are – how many you got here? There's seven teams that you could put on the list that are possibilities, I think, for the NCAA tournament. I think after seven, you probably have – a drop off. I'm just talking about seventeen. Not that the seven teams are going to make it, but seven teams yeah. that are worth discussing. Nebraska and Michigan. We've already talked about. Yes, I mean, you know, if the season. If the season ended today, those two teams would clearly be in. I, I'm surprised that the, if you look at top twenty five list, Nebraska not being ranked is sort of surprising to me. That's and Michigan being ranked between twentieth and twenty fifth. Yeah, Indiana was ranked at one point, I believe, this season. Yeah, I just Nebraska to me seems like a team that is pretty good. I mean, I'll be interested to see them in the tournament because I, I think that's a pretty good squad that maybe is not being paid attention to enough nationally. So Indiana, I, I think, yes, I do think there are maybe some holes there with the Hoosiers uh, that we have not seen in years past. Ohio State, I don't, what, what's your feeling on the Buckeyes? Because they just, they can, they're capable of pitching it so well. They don't hit very well. Right. But you'd stack on a good day, and we saw Ohio State do this a couple weeks ago against the Hoosiers, but on a good day, you'd stack those three guys up against many teams. Now, Michigan got to them over the weekend. But Ohio State, you know, I I think that the Buckeyes probably want to win a little bit here in the second half of the season. But, uh, you know, they can pitch it with anybody. Yeah, I mean, I think it needs to – like we just mentioned with Lonsway, it needs to translate to wins. They got to yeah. figure out a way to make up for that for the poor offense and, yeah. and win games. Uh, There's so with much that, fr- with that hitting. They're gonna. I I think they're going to be a bubble team. Oh yeah. No matter what, I think the pitching has to be strong enough to make an impact on the selection committee and 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 you know them look at this team and say, hey, they you know these three guys not only might be able to make it and compete in the postseason. But with the three pitchers they have, they can win some games possibly and surprise some folks. I think you're talking so, about. I think you're talking about bubble teams for each one of these last four. I think yeah. with those top three, Nebraska, Michigan, and Indiana, probably talking about teams that are in. Indiana is probably on the good side there. Ohio State, Iowa, Rutgers, Northwestern are the other four teams that I throw into this category. Probably in that order. For me, Northwestern was the interesting one to start the season because they had garnered some attention attention nationally. And I think that's going to matter. Attention is going to matter because you can't just simply look at the RPI because 
the R- the RPIs all messed up. It, it's it's who you've played and who they have played. Well, who they have played is also who you have played. Yeah, you're just you're not. You know, it's all in the conference. So the you know the RPI whatever. So it's going to be about what you do and what you look like. And Northwestern looked like a team that was just going to mash taters all season, and they still are. But I think just one game above 500, they're going to have to win some games as they get in the second half of the season against some pretty good competition that they play. Well, I think if you're looking at this list of seven that we came up with here, Northwestern is certainly the team that is trending the most in the wrong direction. Yeah. Right? And that's unfortunate. You know, you want to see, you know, that team's fun to watch with the, all those home runs. So yeah. you want to see them do well and you want to see them win and 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 possibly you know, get into the postseason as a team who, you know, a, a name you don't really see that often uh, up there. So they've got a tough one this weekend against Indiana. Uh, so, uh, you know, they've not done well in the past six games or so, and they've got another tough one this weekend. We'll see if they can turn it around. But all those other teams seem to be seem to be trending in the right direction. We'll just see if it'll shake out in oh. that way at the end. All right, Drew, let's hit uh, number three, as we usually do. Uh, what are you watching this weekend? We will literally be watching. Well, I assume you're going to show up and not be on the beach again this weekend. <laughs> uh, we will literally be watching Purdue over in Champaign for a pod there. Uh, Michigan State and Illinois. So Purdue will play a couple more against Michigan State, picking up where they left off last weekend. And then we'll see the Illini for the first of five consecutive Purdue-Illinois matchups as the Illini then come to Alexander Field. Uh, I'll also be watching... Uh, Indiana and Northwestern, a big series for both those teams, I think. Maybe more so even for Northwestern. It feels like the Wildcats need to win the series maybe to get rolling a little bit back yeah. in the right direction. What do you got? Uh, I'll highlight uh, Iowa at Rutgers. A couple of teams, Iowa setting at 12-9 and nine in, in fifth place in the Big Ten. Rutgers setting at 11-9 and nine in sixth place. So a couple of teams right there in the middle who are trying to keep pace with, if you want to call it the top tier, in the Big Ten, uh, so a big series for both of those teams uh, in New Jersey. All right, that'll do it for the pod for this week. A thanks to Eric Backage for coming on with us. We do enjoy the conversations with him. That'll do it uh, for us, for Drew Charters. I'm Kyle Charters. This is the Big Baseball Podcast, a production of 1017 The Hammer. Yeah!